This is Start Making Sense, the weekly podcast of The Nation magazine, and I'm John Wiener. India is on fire with protest this week. The states of West Bengal and Assam are burning, and the police are brutalizing Muslim students. Massive unrest is everywhere in the world's second most populous country. For a report on the protests and on the far right that rules India today, we turn to Arundhati Roy. Of course, she's the celebrated author of the novel The God of Small Things, for which she received the Man Booker Prize, and of the Ministry of Utmost Happiness. She's also published more than a dozen books of nonfiction, a collection of her essays from the past 20 years with the wonderful title My Seditious Heart, was recently published by Haymarket Books. She's a contributor to The Guardian, The Intercept, and The Nation. We reached her today in Kerala, where she lives. It's an honor and a pleasure to say, Arundhati Roy, welcome to the program. Oh, thank you, John. Well, we've read the page one news in the New York Times. We're recording this on Tuesday night in India. Tell us about these protests. They are about something called the Citizenship Amendment Bill. What is that? Well, the Citizenship Amendment Bill is a bill that is now an act that was passed in Parliament a couple of days ago. And essentially, it it sort of pretends to be an act about migrants, uh, and it discriminates uh, about which migrants will get citizenship in India on the basis of religion. Therefore, it essentially says, says Hindus, Christians, Sikhs, and so on, and deliberately leaves out Muslims from Afghanistan, Pakistan and Bangladesh will eventually be able to uh, apply and get Indian citizenship. But the fear is not, you know, when you look at the Citizenship Amendment Bill and you couple it with what is called the NRC, the National Register of Citizens, what happens is that the government is proposing to do a huge exercise which which it has just completed in a complete disaster in the state of Assam, where it is basically putting the onus of proving citizenship on Indian citizens. So combined with the uh, NRC and the Citizenship Amendment Act, what people fear is, it's like cutting the ground from under your feet, right? And especially discriminatory to Muslims who will be required to somehow prove their citizenship by producing documents which they don't have. And it will cast all of India into a sort of documentation nightmare. And you can imagine this country of poor people, illiterate people, undocumented people, and I'm not talking just of migrants. It's just a complete nightmare. And tell us about these protests. It's a little hard for us to understand the, the scale of these. Well, you know, they began with, with universities, and the students came out protesting completely peacefully, but there were some buses that were burned, and they were not burned by the students. There are allegations that they were burned either by, you know, other people or by the police or by agent provocateurs, but one doesn't know by whom. But on the basis of that, the police 
stormed the university without the permission of the vice chancellor anything, smashed up the libraries, smashed up students, bloodied them. In Aligarh Muslim University, uh, we don't even know very much because the internet has been switched off, but the news that I got, I mean, from calling students that I know personally, they said, actually bullets were fired, students are missing, nobody knows where they are. So it's, it's a form of terror. And in response to that, uh, Delhi University, students in universities across the country, and people, just ordinary people across the country, have just come out in their tens of thousands saying we just had enough of this bigotry and this hatred that's being spread by this government in all these sly ways. And of course, West Bengal is burning. And the northeastern states, where the protests have a different flavor, because those protests are actually against immigrants, Hindu or Muslim. So the, the protests in the mainland have a different uh, politics, and the protests in the northeastern states are different. But regardless, there's just unrest on a scale which is huge. The situation is frightening so far as the police that are that are uh, on the front lines, you know, but the real worry that I have is what are called the Hindu militia mobs are released on these students. These are mobs who have run amok, who have committed mass murder in places like Gujarat. So one doesn't know how it's all going to end. Now I want to switch the focus to Houston, Texas, to the NFL football stadium on September 22nd, where there was a huge event called Howdy Modi. Howdy Modi. Tell us about the Howdy Modi event. What was that? Well, that was a spectacle uh, that the Indian Prime Minister loves spectacle, like your president loves spectacle, you know, so... He was visiting the U.S., and uh, this was just, I don't know how many days after the shutdown, of stripping the state of Jammu and Kashmir of its special status and putting that 7 million people under lockdown, shutting off the Internet. And then um, Modi came to the U.S., and Donald Trump, I think perhaps, the first time an American president has been a guest in his own country hmm. at, at a meeting uh, where Indians gathered to, to cheer uh, Modi. So this was 60,000 Indian Americans went to the football stadium in Houston, cheered Prime Minister Modi, the Hindu nationalist, and Trump came to Houston to greet him. In India, we watched that on TV. Your recent lecture in New York, which has just been published in The Nation magazine, India, Portents of an Ending, Modi, the RSS, and the Rise of the Hindu Right, you draw historical comparisons between Prime Minister Modi and not Donald Trump, but National Socialism in Germany in the 30s. What connections do you see there? Well, it's not Prime Minister Modi so much as, as the organization to which he belongs, and therefore, yes, he is included in that comparison. He belongs to an organization called the RSS, 
which stands for the Rashtriya Swayam Sevak Sangh, which was set up in 1925. It's a Hindu nationalist organization that has always believed that India should be primarily a Hindu nation. And they have always uh, been great admirers of Hitler. They have likened Muslims of India to the Jews of Germany. And in the last quote in that essay I, I, is from Goldwalker, who actually says, you know, that, uh, that India should be a Hindu nation and all others should live as second-class citizens with no rights. And, you know, when you look at the decisions that Modi, uh, that the Modi government has made uh, in in quick succession, you see this uh, this this hurry to realize the RSS vision, and that includes this uh, NRC and CAB, which is a way of creating a kind of tiered society. Of course, India has always been a tiered society because of the caste system, but here to formally, I mean. These people themselves are talking about millions of quote unquote illegal migrants. The home uh, the home minister likes to talk of them as termites, and in fact, the rhetoric of the RSS and many people who subscribe to the ideology of what we call Hindutva has been to portray Muslims as outsiders, as foreigners, as invaders. So, you know, these two things dovetail together. Now the, now this law that is trying to discriminate between people on a religious basis. So you've, you're looking at a period society where you have a new caste system, where, which exists alongside the old caste system, where, you know, some people have more rights than others. You say in the nation that none of the white supremacist neo-Nazi groups on the rise in the world today can boast the infrastructure and manpower commanded by the RSS, that's the Hindu nationalist mothership of the ruling BJP party of Prime Minister uh, Modi. Tell us about this infrastructure and manpower. Well, the RSS itself boasts that it has 57,000 branches across India. It has something like 600,000 volunteers, and it's a kind of volunteer militia because, you know, they are set up along the lines of uh, Mussolini black shirts. They have schools in which millions of students are enrolled. They have their own media outlets, their own women's organizations. And, in fact, now, more or less every institution of Indian democracy. So it's almost like they are not a shadow state anymore. It is the state now. And it has an organization that has been working for a hundred years towards this vision. And of course, they have the claim to, to scriptures to bolster their idea of their own superiority. So in conclusion here, is India going to become officially or semi-officially, a Hindu nation. I, I learned from your, your essay in The Nation that the Constitution of India calls the country, quote, a socialist, secular, democratic republic, close quote. That's what the Constitution says. Nobody will say that that is indeed how India has been all these years. But at least the pretense of that 
the hypocrisy of that gives you a certain sense of decency, you know. But now all of, all of that has been forgotten in this kind of nakedly, aggressively anti-Muslim, anti-minority policy after policy that's coming. So I personally am taken by surprise that so many people have risen up in rage against the Citizenship Amendment Bill. It's not just the bill, but it's the realization of what has been done to this place and that people, are, ordinary people are finally realizing, you know. Although we have a media that is just drip-feeding hatred in, straight into the range of people. So despite all that, to see all these young people stand up for each other in this way and to say, sorry, but this is not who we are and this is not what we want to be. I don't know. Uh, I mean, it's just the beginning of a movement. I don't know what's going to happen to people. I don't know how much beating all of us are going to have to take. I don't know what's going to happen. But it's better that it's happening than it's not happening. Arundhati Roy... Her essay, India, Intimations of an Ending, was first presented by Arundhati herself. She came to New York City last month. It was the Jonathan Shell Memorial Lecture created by the Type Media Center, formerly the Nation Institute, and the Gould Family Foundation. And it was presented at Cooper Union. It appears in the new issue of The Nation. You can read it at thenation.com. Arundhati Roy, thank you for everything you do, and thanks for talking with us today. You're welcome. Thank you. You've been listening to Start Making Sense, the weekly podcast of The Nation magazine. You can hear more interviews like this one at thenation.com, and you can subscribe to Start Making Sense at iTunes Podcasts, Pocket Casts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm John Wiener. Thanks for listening. 